Amen. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 11 today, and the first 11 chapters of Genesis are what we call the pre-historical parts of the Bible, meaning this is when everything's still a little fuzzy. This is prior to Israel becoming a nation, prior to the call of Abraham. I mean, it's a, it's a time of, of strangeness and, and great stories, in particular the story in Genesis 11, the story of, of the Tower of Babel. And I want to start by reading in Genesis 11 and verse 3. Or pardon me, verse 4. Now, at this point, again, God has no specific chosen people. God has chosen all people in all places at all times to work with him as his covenant partners. God intends to heal the world through, through everybody. And so this large group of people, they settle in a plain in a valley of Shinar. And it says here in verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top up in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed into every corner of the earth. Now, there's, there's three big concepts there that in order for us to understand the rest of the story, we've we got to understand what, what this all means. First, it, it's funny that they want to make a, a city. I mean, there were, there were really not many cities back then, and cities were, were rare, and, and the best cities were walled, you know, so that, that enemies couldn't get in. And, and the most secure cities had, and the, as their central feature, a tower. Now, it's not like a smokestack. So when you imagine the tower, don't think of it as a big cylinder that goes up. It's, it's a ziggurat, a Mesopotamian and Sumerian temple. It would have looked like, a, like if you tried to build a pyramid out of Lego, it would have sort of had that rough stairway shape to it on all sides. And, and the purpose of these ziggurats, these towers, was twofold. First, it was safety and security. Like if the bad guys broke into your city and they wanted to kill you, you could hide in the tower and climb up to the top and throw things on top of them, you know, eggs, people you didn't like, whatever, to chase them away. If a flood came, you could retreat into the tower. This isn't too long after the great flood of Genesis 6, and this was a, a, an area prone to flooding. So, so chances are the people were excited about the safety and security, but their, their primary purpose was the other one. It was a, a temple. And they believed back then, in this part of the world, that the place for humans was on solid ground. And, and the place for demons was in the water where it was chaotic and uncertain, and there's all kinds of monsters that lived out there in the deeps and in the rivers. And they also believed that up in the sky, above the clouds, that that was the home of the gods. So when they say, let us build a tower that reaches up into the heavens, what they're talking about is invading heaven. They're talking about being the people who earn immortality, who get into God's space, who, who become divinized and immortalized, who, who achieve the most incredible feat imaginable. And we're told they want to do this so that they can make a name for themselves. Now, this whole concept of the name is, is huge. This is why we know uh, partly that, that when they say they build a tower, that there's hubris, there's ego involved, that they've got these, these aspirations that people will talk about them. They want to build a, a name for themselves. In the Bible, names connote four things. Like when you, when you have a name, that means people know who you are, right? Like it's an identifier. Like if all the lights were off, we couldn't see each other, and I say, who's here? And John hollers out, it's me, John Mefford that I know John is here because he uses his name. Names also have your, your history attached to them. 
Like, so, so I would know, you know, oh, there's my friend Kelly. Kelly, well, I know he built a, a great brewery in town with a great beer selection. And Kelly and I often get together and, and hang out and, and share cigars in the name of the Lord. It's in the Bible somewhere. Just look for it. It might be that I wrote it in in pencil in mind, but it's there, you know. So, so your name has your history of your past deeds, your past accomplishments. Your names also have your authority attached to them. Like, with your name comes certain rights and privileges that are unique to you. Like, like if I go to the bank and I want to withdraw money from my bank account, I can only do that if I can prove my name. In my role and responsibilities at Westwinds, there are certain things that I can do as the, as the pastor because that's, that's, that's my name. That's my authority. You've got authority. And it's tied to your name. And last but not least, names are a way to signify relationships because we don't exist in a vacuum. You're somebody's child. You're somebody's friend. You're somebody's mom or dad or cousin or brother or whatever. You're, the names are about relationships. So when they say we want to build a name for ourselves, what they're saying is we, we want to be great. Enduringly, exceedingly, eternally great, lest we are dispersed. That's the, the third key term here because what they're afraid of is is losing what they've got. In a time of uncertainty, in a time of war, in a time of floods, natural disasters, a time of plague, a time of scarcity, we're afraid that we might lose our place, our home, our, our people, our, our identity, our, our sense of who we are and, and where we are. And so their solution is to, to build a big tower. Now, we look at that and we go, that doesn't totally make sense to us. I mean, it sounds like they got an edifice complex and, you know, that's fine. Go for it, buddy. Um, but the truth is we know, we know what it's like to be afraid. We know what it's like to, to be afraid of being alienated, of being isolated, of being dispersed, of being scattered. We know what it's like to feel as though the heavens are impenetrable and we can't get up there and get God's attention. We know what it's like because even though this was a long time ago, the issues they're wrestling with then are the same issues you and I wrestle with now. And the story continues that God's up in heaven and he says, well, let's go down there and take a look, which is kind of a funny a funny thing for God to say, you know, like, let's take the angels for the walk so they can pee in the bush, and then we'll go, you know, see what the people are doing. And it's just a funny sort of humanized way of talking about God. Well, God comes down, looks and goes, this, this is what it says, this is so funny. He, he goes, behold, they're one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they're going to do, which actually sounds really positive, right? Like, when I look at my kids and their accomplishments, and I think, man, this is only the beginning of what they're going to do. Doesn't that sound like fatherly pride? But it's not here, which seems strange at first. God continues and says, let us confuse their language so they don't understand one another. And then God dispersed them from there over the face of the earth. You're like, wait, record scratch, train tracks, timeout. What just happened? God looked down at their accomplishments, deliberately confused them so they couldn't accomplish anything else, and then dispersed them over all the earth, which is the very thing they were trying to avoid. Like, is, is God mean? 
Is he kicking over their sandcastle? Because he can't. I mean, like, what the heck is going on? Well, first, let's just acknowledge that there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to build a tower or a city. We know this because elsewhere in the Bible, God's people built cities and towers, and he seemed pretty proud of them. So it can't be the city or the tower that's the problem. And, you know, this week as I was studying and reading the scripture, I came across a detail in this story that I'd never seen before. I never really paid attention before. You know, sometimes you read the Bible and there's stuff in there and you're like, that's dumb. Why is that in there? That's just, you know, messing up the story. Somebody should take it out. No, you don't ever think that? All right, good. That's probably, that's probably not a good thing to think. But, you know, you, like there's details in there that you, you go like, I don't know why that's in here. That seems like a real non-essential component. But, of course, nothing in the Bible is non-essential. So I kept coming back to this detail a few verses earlier where we're told that this group of people figures out how to make bricks out of mud. And then they figure out how to use bitumen, this sort of, um, you know, dirty, poopy substance to use as mortar. And once they figure out how to make bricks out of mud and, and mortar out of dirt, then they decide to make the city and the tower. And again, I go like, so who cares? But I did a little digging this week because it was, it was just bugging me. Like, why does God take the time to tell me what building materials they use? I don't care. But you know, back then, they didn't actually build many cities or many towers out of brick. They used stone. Now, if you take a brick a brick made out of mud and baked in the sun, and you throw it against a stone, which one's going to break? The brick. It's weaker and less substantial. It's not going to last. And this bitumen, this, this dirty substance, it's not mortar. It too is weaker. So if you are making a, a city, and then you're going to build a tower out of mud and brick, how... How endurable is that tower? It's a little bit like your cousin Francois building a car out of pop cans. You're like, hey man, I don't think that's gonna go real far. So now you get this picture of God looking down in heaven going, what, what the, did you, did, you didn't give them their meds? Like what the heck is going on right now? This is crazy. And that's when I realized it. The tower that they were making was weak and dangerous. It's going to collapse and kill everybody. And they're so proud of it. And the name they were making for themselves was weak and was going to kill everybody. And they were so proud of it. See, because they, they'd, they'd given themselves an identity. We're the tower builders. Everybody's going to come and see us. They're going to live the way we want in our perfect society. We're not going to go anywhere else. We're not going to be dispersed. They're going to come to us. That was their identity. And they'd given themselves a history. We're the ones who figured out how to make bricks. Don't you know how clever we are? And they'd given themselves authority. Look, we can reach the heavens. We built this huge tower. It's slightly leaning. That's okay. Because now we can be like the gods and they give themselves a relationship. We are the one people 
through the power of our unity can accomplish anything. And God says, no, this isn't going to work. Because you've, you've bought into a false name. Now, why is their name so problematic? It's because God had already given them a name. They were humans, which is to say they're made in the image and likeness of their creator, like you and me. They've got God's thumbprint on them. They've got God's identity on them. They've got God's story on them. They've got God's authority in them. They've got God's relationships around them. They've already got everything a name coulda, shoulda, woulda given them because they had the name in them that was higher than every name. And so they traded the truth of God for a lie. They traded a true name for a false one. Now look what happens when you do that. Because make no mistake, you and I run the same risk and face the same temptation all the time. You got God's thumbprint on you. You're made in the image and likeness of your creator. God's spirit lives in you. God's gifts dwell in you. God's purpose and mission flows through you. I mean, you got everything that they had. And if you're anything like me, man, it's a struggle sometimes. To remember, my life is not my own. My life belongs to God. And when you get, when you get more excited about your name than God's name, then you run the risk of getting confused. That's what happened. God confuses them. You know, when you can't see things clearly, your, your thinking's a little muddled. You start thinking your life is all about you. That's confusion. Your life's not about you. What are we? We're a sacrifice. A sacrifice to our family. A sacrifice to our friendships. We're, we are a sacrifice to God's church. We're a sacrifice to God. Living sacrifices. That's what we were called to become. And those sacrifices are holy. Those sacrifices are pleasing. Those sacrifices are aromatic and beautiful, delectable, delicious, pleasing to God and pleasing to everybody else. But don't forget, man, your life is yours to lay down, not to lift up. Don't get confused. And then they misunderstand each other. Oh, man, if you are in the business of elevating and celebrating yourself, don't be surprised if ain't nobody understand what you're talking about. Because if I'm busy glorifying myself and you're busy glorifying yourself, we are not talking to each other at all. I mean, imagine how well a marriage would work where the husband is going, boy, you must be lucky Married to a man like myself. That joke's funny once. It's not funny when there's no joke anymore. Don't you see what I do for you? Don't you see how hard I'm working for you? Can't you understand what a sacrifice I make to be married to you? How long do you think that marriage is going to last? How long do you think that business is going to last? When the employer or the manager just keeps reminding everybody how lucky they are to work there. Like, no amount of money is worth putting up with your mouth. See, when you glorify yourself, you don't increase in glory. You increase in foolishness. And nobody understands who you are or what you're worth. You get confused you get misunderstood, and finally you get alienated. When you spend all this time elevating and celebrating your own name, you end up all alone, dispersed, blown to smithereens over all the earth. 
Because if you're the most important in your person in your universe, there is no room for anyone else. And everyone else will be happy to give you what you want. Instead, friends, our chief task is to remind ourselves over and over and over again that we are not our own. We belong to God. Is your identity rooted in Christ, in God, in the understanding of his calling, his spirit, his church, his future, or is it rooted in race, gender, sexual orientation, political allegiance, education, privilege? I mean, what are you? You're God's. You belong to God. And what about your history? I mean, what story are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself that you're a victim? That you've been mistreated? That things have been taken away from you? That you are suffering? I mean, are you really going to talk to anybody else about suffering in the middle of a global pandemic? Like, you think there's people out there who aren't suffering? You think there's people out there who aren't suffering worse than you? Maybe you could tell yourself the story that you're a missionary. That God has prepared you and chosen you and birthed you into the world for such a time as this. Maybe you're the reason the world sucks less than it otherwise could. That's a pretty good story to tell yourself. That might be the story God is putting inside of you. That you're here holding his church together. That his church is holding his city together. That his city is all over the world. The city within a city, the city of the people of God is holding the planet together. Maybe get on board with that story. And with what authority do you live? Your position or the power of God's Holy Spirit? Friends, we need to be reminded again and again that we are not the victims of the world's ills. We are God's medicine here to heal the world with love and friendship. And when we forget that, we get focused on making a name for ourselves because we're afraid of losing everything we got, we're going to lose everything we got anyway. And be confused. So let's get crystal clear on who we are and whose we are. Because God wants to work through you to redeem the time and heal the world. Amen. Jesus, we want to thank you for all that you have done to sustain us, to ennoble and empower us, to remind us that we are not simply enduring 2020. We're here to heal it, to put it back together, to heal our families, to heal our cities, to heal our churches, to heal our schools, to heal our government. Lord Jesus, let us see ourselves as missionaries, as ministers, as agents of the gospel of peace. And let us go forth in the boldness and power of your spirit. These things we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.